0: Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress. Thank you to UFIT MMA and Jiu-Jitsu for supporting this episode. Their info is in the description below.
1: This is Dr. Bo Nelson. I'm the Director of Clinical Services at FHE Health in Deerfield Beach, Florida. For over 20 years, FHE Health has been providing quality substance abuse and mental health services. An important part of our work is our Shatterproof program that works with first responders. We treat police, fire, EMS, military, and corrections officers in an environment that is supportive of them. We have a staff of trained professionals who understand the issues that first responders Responders go through. Some of our staff are former first responders. We also have an innovative neurotherapy program that actually gets to the root of the problems that are faced by our first responders. This can include PTSD, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders. At FHE Health, our shatterproof program is designed to help the people who help others. We are committed to the first responder population and we offer hope and healing.
0: All right, welcome to Fight in Progress podcast. Uh, Chris is here with us again today. Good morning, the, everyone. As the uh, the backup host here. And uh, I have to tell y'all, we have royalty in the room today. I don't know when I've been this excited about somebody on the podcast and someone that I'm honored to call a friend. Franz,
2: welcome to Fight in Progress. Well, I'm um, happy to be here today. Um, my name is Franz Jerome, retired uh, New York City detective. And it's an interesting story how we
0: met because I was told your story after 9/11 when during one of my weeks, uh, up there providing critical incident support, and was working for Papa, police organization providing peer assistance under Bill Jede. And Bill had told me your story, but he never told me your name. <laughs> and then years later, I am in Chandler, Arizona, at an officer's funeral. And someone nudged me and said, hey, there's one of your NYPD buddies. And there was only probably 40-something thousand at that time. And there you stood in your glory and your gold all the way up your arms. And I went over and was talking to you. And out of your mouth came the story I had been telling for however many years in training. Never knew your name. Never knew the outcome and so i uh, definitely want you to tell that story which was i think 1988 yeah. and but give us your background well, first, and everything well,
2: first of all i was compelled to i feel like i should be wearing the uniform just to not only to represent uh what the police officers as brotherhood stand for uh, funerals it's something that uh i see a lot of funerals but it's not something that you really want to go when an officers uh in the line of duty right so I see the uniform sitting there is still fit. <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs> the best I could do for the family is to show, uh, you know, uh, a little uh, courtesy Absolutely. by wearing the uniforms uh, as uh, to stand shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the officers. Yes. Uh, that was present day during that day. Uh, Phenol—they uh, call it an Inspector Phenol—back in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something. It's always a pretty sight, but mm-hmm. it's not something nobody wants. Right. it's usually happening when the officers die in the line of duty yes and it's not uh, uh, shall I say uh, uh, comfort mm-hmm. you know it's not a comfort to uh, to uh, see it uh, happening so often right and having taken part of it sometime it's probably the little, little contribution that some of us can make sure uh, to our fellow officers
0: I know it was very well received and appreciated very much by the officers that were there. They were just in awe that you would take the time to come yes. uh, and, and be was, there to pay your respects. And it, it really it went a long way. It meant a lot.
2: Uh, I was happy to, to be there and uh, to show my
0: support. So obviously you're not from Alabama.
2: <laughs> no, actually. Uh, I was born uh, in Haiti, mm-hmm. uh, immigrated to the U.S. Uh, when I was about 18 years old. Okay, didn't know that. Yeah, they, uh, I uh, worked in the garment center in Manhattan, and uh, subsequently to, uh, to a nursing home in the Bronx, where mm-hmm. I spent 11 years, I was 19 then. Uh, from there, I joined the police department.
0: What possessed that,
2: I have to know. I had, a, uh, one time I, I had a, a little, I wouldn't say confrontations with an officer but I, I was sitting at the park I guess I was daydreaming and a yellow taxi stopped by and the three gentlemen was in the car.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: one of them was Hispanic and two other male Caucasians uh, they were dressed in street smart uh, clothing. one guy had an army US army jacket on fatigues and they searched me they talked to me and and yeah, and they said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm just thinking, you know, because I'm from Haiti, and I'm just thinking, do I really want to stay or what I want to do? Just think, I'm the youngest son of my family, and my parents always want me to come back home.
0: Okay, so yeah. everybody
2: else was still in Haiti. Actually, in the U.S., uh, I'm the baby. So everybody else was in the U.S. and Canada. My family is divided, some of them in Canada, some okay. of them in New York. And I figured, well, in, in Haiti, I have nothing to do but to eat and sleep and go to school. Yeah, I got to work. Yeah, I'm thinking all this stuff. Then I got to go to school. Then I see if I go back to Haiti, my parents were very strict. You know, I'll have to go. You know, I have to, you have to go to bed a certain time. My father's like a, an army inspections. <laughs> so I says, hm. Then they says, okay, so what are you doing there? And I says, well, you know, they say you're 19 years old. Yeah, yeah, you. I say well, you know, I'm trying to look for a place to leave and so forth. Yeah, I had a, a bag with uh, some clothes. And you know, he says, well, I said, I don't know what I want to do. Anyway, so they searched me. And one of the officers had his handcuffs and his finger going around here because I had a small knife in my pocket. But I had my hand raised. They keep telling me to put my hand down. <laughs> and I second them like this. And he says to me, okay? So we're talking. I show him my ID uh, and everything else. They took me to McDonald's, uh, 161st Street. There, they paid the. Porter that was mopping in there, something, I don't know, I think it was $5, I don't know why. So they had me sitting there. My English was limited at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Spanish officer spoke to the porter that was inside. Uh, They knock on the door, he opened the door while he was mopping, it was about 6 a.m. So they give him some money and then they, you know, speak Spanish to him at that time. Then I'm sitting there, then about uh, an hour and a half later the McDonald's opened, the guy served me food and he told me I don't need to pay. I watched the car going by, and I said, hmm, how do we get a job like this? <laughs> this is impressive. This is impressive. And there we go. Yes. Okay, I determined. Uh, when I was working in the nursing home, I attended Bronx Community College under medical lab technology. I spent two years uh, there. I started, uh, actually, I did completed U analysis, and I started immunohematology. Uh
0: I can't even say that word, much less it's even it, understand it. it the, but,
2: uh, the diagnosis of blood and stuff. Right. We do uh, uh, some uh, work in the lab. But all all, the, all of the time, I'm killing time. I really want to be a cop. <laughs> in 1984, I took the police exam, which I passed. And I said, this is it. So it takes two years before I was hired. That was normal? Uh, actually... You know, to tell the truth, mm-hmm. no. The investigator appeared to have a negative attitude towards me. So he's squeezing on the paperwork, sitting on the paperwork. Uh, two years later, uh, approximately almost two years later, a gentleman walking out of the door, he said, you've been coming here for two years, what's your problem? <laughs> so well, I guess they don't want people like me here in the police department because uh, everything they need are provided. Mm-hmm. The investigator apparently, for whatever reasons, didn't think I belonged to the police department, so he added negative stuff into the yeah, the investigation field. Wow. Such as I was incarcerated, uh, I was on welfare. You no. were incarcerated during yeah. that? that's what. He put down? Yeah. <laughs> I know I did mention to him, perhaps he probably misunderstood what I was saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I was stabbed in the abdomen where I had surgery for saving the life of a young man who I don't even know during the Cuban crisis when the Cuban refugees was, you know, in New York. Is there anything you have not been involved in? When, and the audience will understand as we go through your history. At that time, I wasn't a cop yet. Right. And I used to lift weight, jogging, you know, I'm in good shape. Like I said, I don't smoke, I don't drink, so, you know, I was in good shape. And I was talking to one of my brothers about a trip to go see my mother in Haiti when he was coming from church, and I'm going to a party across the street. And I was well-dressed. And I saw this guy with a knife going down, talking about, you can see the lighting, big knife going down in somebody's throat, right in front of us sitting there. I said, hey, you can't do that, here." He said, why don't you mind your business? Of course Get involved! My older brother says, "Come on, let's 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 go call the cops." There's there's no time, so I rush up there, take the knife, throw it out, and tell this guy, "Get out of here! You don't do this in this neighborhood." Uh, so we're still talking, but 30 minutes later, I was surrounded by nine other Cuban refugees. You know they hardly speak English. I used to call the police when they used to steal cars in the neighborhood. You know, see chop shops. You know, they body parts. And I, used, as a good citizen, so I used to give my name and my phone number. Oh, boy. I have reason to believe that somebody at the precinct was giving him information who was calling. Because when he says, this is the guy that don't mind his business, he's always calling the cops. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay attention to this until years later. Sure. Because I'm trying to revise what happened. Okay. In any case, uh, when they all came back, one of them had a 45 the Going like this, but the gun wouldn't go off. I guess got jammed. It looked like i on one, one of those Army forty-five. The holsters were still left on the floor the next day. Uh, there was Dominicans, I believe, among Dominicans. The Dominicans were very uh, pro haitians you mm-hmm. know, and so they all stand up, you know, for me. That The street was full of people, okay? So my brother pulled out my hand and says, let's run because those guys look crazy. And that's when one of them, you know, and all I could feel that I breathed, my breathing changed. <gasps> and so that's when the knife went in and went out. And you're how old? Uh, uh, I say it's tw- probably uh, 24, 25. Oh, okay. So I decided to go up six flights stairs at the party, get the rest of my brothers. <laughs> We're all running downstairs. I say, call the cops. When we came down, the street full of people. And, you know, uh, cops come in. We're running. I say, here's one of them. So we start chasing. He's the guy that stabbed me. So we start chasing the guy. It was a female officer from the 34th precinct, and I know I can run, and we're, 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 with her wearing all this, I know I can pass her, you know, even though I'm wearing a, a suit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm sliding. You know, my feet—it's got kind of sliding into some mud or something in my shoes. Oh, yeah. So that was blood, Coming coagulate, down. going down, you know, in my shoes. And I'm breathing, you know, very heavily. She says. She was with a flashlight in the park. H uh, come out in the park. She said she calling for backup. I said, She said there's a trail of blood, and she's like, "Oh no, that's it's you. your shoes, <laughs> it's you, you've been shot." I says, "No, uh, not that I know of. Probably, probably stabbed." Wow. And I, and she went like this, and you know that's when I went into trauma. Like, I said, "It's me." She <laughs> said, "Sit down, sit down." She had me sitting on the grass. Columbia Press is just, that's his uh, eye distance. i say a block and a half, right? So there they was Anamon and Gordon, was the two officers from the 34th precinct. I didn't know if it was the chief, Anamon who become, uh, the, the same guy would become chief later on. I, I can't put a price to it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the job they did that day, they put me in the back of the car that was an unmarked police car, took me into Columbia Press, and sort of waiting for the ambulance. Uh, the doctor have saying that uh, a few more minutes I wouldn't be able to make it Wow Dr. Zilerk, Dr. Benvenevsky I don't know the first name I don't remember the first names because I remember I have wise uh, that I have memory on that sure she stuck her finger. she wasn't eating the sandwich with her right hand she stuck her finger with her left hand inside my, the hole her, from her nails she says hmm she's looking at Dr Benvenevsky and then all my brothers. Start coming. I have a brother that works in the pharmacy there, and they thought that was him because we all look alike. Uh, I said, Jerome, you, he works here. I said, no, my brother works here. Then I'm laying on the table. She said, you smell good. Where are you going? A date or something? So they're talking, trying to talk me to come down. Sure. And then my brother show up. Then next thing I know, I was signing documents. And I'm, I'm, the guy took me in the elevator. and going upstairs. He said, you know, she so said, you're going to have to have surgery. And the next morning, I wake up, connect to all these machines. You know, and uh, I was blessed, and I uh, thank God. Yes. I spent 14 days in Columbia Press. Wow. That's stitches that I have. A, a Cut you from stem away. to stern, huh? They had to open up, so they, they used clamps to saw this. And then you want to be a cop. Then I really want to be a cop. <laughs> then I really, I determined to be a cop. So before that, I have to ask you, it said when the, the three got out of the the car, and you, you had the knife and your hands right. were up. Is that something normal you would do in Haiti? No. Where, where, no. In, where in Haiti, did you learn the... When I came here to the United States, it was a myth that, you know, the cops were shooting African-American. Okay. okay. I knowingly know what's going on. As I said, I'm a witness to a lot of stuff, which we'll discuss later on. So I'm trying like you know, I have the knife, I shouldn't have the knife. I'm always, when I see cops, <laughs> I'm always, not that I'm scared, I guess due to the respect, even sure. now as a retired cop, yep. when I see the light behind me, my knees start shaking. Yes. <laughs> it's a respect for the law, I guess, that's embedded into my mind. Okay. Their authority, Yeah, yep. You know, I just can't, you know, let it shake it up. You know, even when I was on duty, when I was on duty, which I had some uh, car stop when I was wearing my suit and my mm-hmm. black tinted windows on my police cars, I get pulled over, you know, sure. for speeding. You know, until I turn on all my Christmas lights, I call it, and the cops will settle down and say, oh, okay, I'm on the job and stuff. But I still feel like, okay, I must have done something wrong. Right. Back to the cops, you know, when they left. I, I never met these guys again after that. Uh They were very uh, courteous to me, you know, being that my English was limited. The treatment that I got that day, I thought I was going to get arrested for that small knife in my pocket. Sure. And they were laughing, you know, later on because I was shaking. I nearly had tears in my eyes. Said, oh God, you know, if my father find out, I'd get arrested. You right. know, my mother was always, always afraid of laws and in service in the army, military. It's just her as a woman, but my father, you know, was different, you know, very respectable uh, person. In any case, uh, the stabbing, Back to mm-hmm. uh, I left the hospital when I came uh, on the block, which is you couldn't look at the hospital right in front of there—a block and a half—and I had a, a little crowd, of Dominicans, and there was a uh, African American older guy, it's about, probably about sixty at that time. He, he, you know, shook my hand and said, "Thank you for my son." He wouldn't give me his name, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Bedveneshki. At that time, the media was already at the hospital that night. See how good some because. I can't find, I think it's somewhere in the newspapers they say a good Samaritan saved somebody's life. It referring to me. I didn't even know they had that. The doctor had refused to give my name and he had told them that, that, you know, the front office not to give my name to the media. Uh, then, of course, like I said, uh, to uh, medical uh, treatment, you know, successfully came back and went back to the work in the nursing home but still, with the mind now, I'm willing. That, that, that Shall 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 I say that reinforce my my need sure. to be a cop. I said, oh, I gotta do this legally. Yeah. You know. And apparently when I was a young officer standing on footposts, 172nd street on Amsterdam between Audubon and uh, Amsterdam and Audubon, who mm-hmm. was walking by, one of the gentlemen that uh, part of the gang that stabbed mm-hmm. me. See, most of them fled. They thought I'd die because that's what the media reported because they I'm in I'm in critical conditions. So I took off my hat. He he looked at me. He said, "My friend, I did not kill your brother." I said, "Now nah, it's me." <laughs> the guy turned. It was it was a, a snowing uh, evening about seven thirty p.m. He turned the same color as the snow. I bet. Because, and I'm my understanding, he thought that I die. because they all run away, you know. Ichi. he said my friend i was there but i didn't i didn't i didn't kill your brother you know and i understand a good bit of spanish so we talk about it and, and all this stuff <laughs> and uh i said i better not see you you know doing anything bad in this neighborhood he took off <laughs> make a right turn i guess you, you, like a tow truck you know it was gone in the, in the wind and, and I'm standing there on the footposts. I remember I thought about it. I said, you know, God is good, look at this guy. He thought I was dead, and here, here I am now, you know, standing here as law enforcement. That was yep. the last thing on his mind to have me standing but God there. had a plan for you, my friend. <laughs> you know, so that was, that was my first, uh, one of the first uh, time I was a victim and then survived it, and uh, you know, my first encounter with nearly death.
0: Now, when you went to the academy, because we've got a lot of agencies of all sizes. And actually, we have an international audience now. We're excited to announce that we have some in Brussels listening to us. And we are I'm not sure where else. Um, but I don't think a lot of people in law enforcement in the United States understand the size of, of NYPD throughout the years. How many were in your police academy
2: class? It was... Uh... Twelve, uh, I believe twelve hundred or seventeen hundred. I believe it was twelve hundred.
0: Yes, and they were running, and they'll run multiple classes just
2: kind of off by a few weeks, right? Yes, we had uh, actually we had uh, two uh, set of shift. Uh-huh. The, the one group, mm-hmm. they came in on the eight to four. The other group is four to twelve. Uh, and both sizes are about twelve hundred. Uh, no, actually, the total, the, the, the tally at that time, I think, I think it was either twelve or seventeen hundred. I believe. That's an academy class. That's one class. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's, it's a small army. <laughs> yes, it is. And then when people tend to understand New York police, they do not tally the state. If you look at the New York state, it's over millions law enforcement. Right. But when you look at New York City itself, justifiable. Ball, Five boroughs are comprised of this tally of uh, you know thirty. Uh, I think sometimes they go down to thirty six thousand, you know, to attrition and retirement. Sure, but it's normally from thirty six to forty four thousand. That's what I was. I remembered it being
0: around forty two thousand yeah. yeah. for the five yeah. boroughs. And, and, yeah,
2: in and, and that perspective, uh, and you probably think we stuck you know, stay in a staggle on top of each other. No, it's yeah. it has room for everybody. Yeah. There's work for everybody. Yes, everybody have work to do. Yes, there was no hanging around. Uh, one of the greatest city in the world, I would say, and I will always say that, uh, not only because grew up there from, uh, you know, having have been 19 all the way up to the time i moved into to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what you see, what you have uh, uh, acknowledged, and yes. uh, what you witness. Being, being a victim, I, I think it's probably what you call uh, being adapted and being part of the culture of the city, because mm-hmm. some people never understand what that means to be a victim. Right. Never understand what that meant to be uh, engaged in a conversation with a police officer. I can't, I can't contact with a police officer. By the way, when I was in the park, that was my first encounter with a police officer. You know, in my life in, mm-hmm. in the United States. The when I became a police officer, I was assigned to the I guess it's Manhattan North, which is called mm-hmm. FTU Five, which is comprised of the northern part of the precincts, which is also included where I used to live. Ah. Which is the 34 precincts. Then, after uh, the training, the mm-hmm. six-month training, I was deployed to a permanent precinct, which is 2-6 in Harlem, 126th Street. I yes. had uh, probably one of the best uh, commanding officers named Captain Hosman. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
2: the gentleman was so, shall I say, so gently with the, the cops that worked for him. Uh, the borough commander at that time, the deputy borough commander, Uh, Say he was too weak. Why? Because he cared about his people? He cares about the community as well as the cops. The officers, yes. I have never seen a commanding officer that's going to write you up for something. And then you come out at his office laughing. And say thank you. (laughs) Okay. For example, you lost a radio. At that time, most likely it's two days vacation you lose. It'll take like four hours. But guess what? in the back end you make overtime made up for it wow okay coming to work was so uh enthusiasm mm-hmm. because of the person that you work for morale was up i had a car i had a car stop i was on foot dumb uh, you know okay you wait a minute. It, you're uh, on foot and you're stopping a uh, car yeah, yeah. well in
0: new york i do understand that yeah. yes i uh, do. Uh, yes
2: thir- in front of 1305 i'm see them happen uh it's about 930 <laughs> 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning on foot bus. And I look behind me. It was Captain Husband in plain clothes, going to work. Oh, funny. My captain. as my backup with his little gun. And, you know, he's got a little gun in his left, uh, I believe was his left jacket pocket. And I look, I, you know, I look at the guy. I, I, that's my boss because I, I'm newly outside there. So, first recognitions, isn't that something that you're going to be adapted to, especially in plain clothes? Sure. And I look again, one guy, you know, in a small car. It was Captain as You know, you just stopped there and backing me up. That's funny. So I turned around and said, hey, I got your back. I, I was so, so thrilled. I was so excited. I said, geez, this is like a family. Yeah. You know? And uh, of course, I worked uh, with the several officers there in that precinct. One of the officers I really, really, really remember, and I will always remember until the day I passed away, named Michael McDonald. Okay. He had about two years prior to, to, to me. So he had the seniority of about two years. We're on a working a midnight shift. At two a.m., we got a call on Saint Nicholas Avenue. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm talking about 125th Street. We went upstairs. It was an abandoned building. It was a baby in there, about I say it's about two and a half, three years old. Uh, it's about three gentlemen, three to four, three gentlemen in there you know, they had candle lights because there was no lights in the house. had cut the power. They usually cut the power because they're afraid of a fire hazard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think they cut the fire sometime because the company is being mean, mean. No, because of, of that, you know, that, that cut down on fire at that time. And he shed the flashlight there. There was three gentlemen laying on the floor there. There was some chickens, uh, wings there, and uh, there was a two bottles of liquor there. And the young lady was to the left and, and had tears in her eyes. But the baby, he was crying. Mm-hmm. It was about 2 a.m. in the morning. So, uh, he's, he's the senior officer, Michael McDonald, so he's, you know, he's, he's, he do the talking. Sure. I'm just, you know. And he said, Diane, I'll never forget that. And I said, later on, I said, how do you know her now? He was, like I said, uh, like a community policing officer. Mm-hmm. Not so much that, but he made it his business to know the
0: neighborhood. People,
2: he knew the people that sure. he is Irish. Irish as you could be. White as you could be. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm, do I have to do all this stuff, learning the name too? <laughs> Prior to joining the police department, I know anybody. I don't know anybody. So I have no clue. Sure. You know, what the, what, what the job is really other than being a cop. Is the, the, what the academy is showing you in the books, in the street is too different. Yes. And if you can engulf both, the academy teaching as well as the street smart, yes. well, you're good to go. Yes. You will survive, you know, by the right. blessing of God, you will make it. Michael says, uh, okay, Diane, come in. Come with us. We went to our bodega, which is a grocery store on mm-hmm. the 25th street. He told the guys to, hey, I much you guys are today. So the guys, you know, they all pack up and laugh. He took her and the baby in the back of the car. <laughs> we weren't su- were not we supposed to let the dispatch know when we have a female in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving, you know, and I say, Mike, we forget, uh, you want me to do it? We forget to, dis- to call dispatch, you know, uh, to say that, you know, we have a female in the auto. The reason why the department policy is because, you know, in case there is any allegations, sure. you know, they know when the female in and out of the, out of the car, sure. which is covered the whole apartment, including the officer, you know, himself. And he says, uh, "We are almost there." He says, "Ah, uh, he says, yeah, we are already there. It was just half a block." The kid was so wet; the diaper was so wet. The kid was shaking; it was cold. Oh. We went to the bodega, so I come out of the car, and she left the baby there, and I'm, and I'm looking at the baby. Mike and her went inside. Then I grabbed the baby and I walk inside the bodega, and I see her with diapers, and Mel, <laughs> uh, Similac, yep. you know all this yep. stuff. And I'm like, okay. And I watch Mike put out his wallet. I nearly cry. Yep. From what you heard of Caucasian officers, you know the myth that you heard and having witness yes something that uh, I have to say it was like a miracle yes. maybe God want me to see that pull out his wallet and pay and uh and I had money in my pocket I think I had about 4050 dollars in my pocket but that was the listing on my mind right. to pay for that because honestly I wasn't even thinking of that <laughs> then he says he got in the car and he told her you know you can walk uh little bit don't go over there okay you got a sister you got a family you can go go over there okay I don't recall if you give her any more money. I don't think so, because he says when we got in the car, he says, "You know, you don't give them the money because they, they probably use it to buy for drugs." Yes. So, uh, you know, uh, it's best that you buy the stuff, as you can see. I went home. I couldn't sleep <laughs> because, I, for one thing, who do I talk to? I need to talk to somebody about this. Yes, it was like a culture shock. To him, it was to Mike. It was nothing. To me. He was, you know, like I get hit over the face, you know, like somebody waking me up. Uh, and that prompted me to understand the difference yes. in what you heard, yes, what you see, yes, and what you know, and what you witness. It was a testimony for me, and I remember when I was in the police commissioner's office, Mike wanted to be transferred to another unit. <laughs> he called me, and I says, Mike, he, he says, I can't believe you're up there. A guy with a strong accent, and you're now the advisor to the police commissioner. Nice. And I said, Mike, what do you need? He says, well, I need to be transferred from the organized crime. I think I want to go to a detective squad. I said, okay, I'll, I'll reach out to somebody. And I did reach out to a few people, mm-hmm. and I do not know if the transfer went through. I, I've been looking for Mike even on Facebook ever since, because I know you retired. If I were to write a book, there's no doubt in my mind, unless, unless I can have Mike pay names with mm-hmm. that story in it, I, don't, I wouldn't want to write it. Sure. Okay, that's something that uh, I see is uh, like a scar in my mind. Until, until, and he's until.
0: probably the type that would have been angry if you'd made a big deal about it and told people. He didn't want anybody to know what no, he had done. He no, did he, it because it no. was the right thing he to was, do. Because he was Mike. And that's why people don't know the good things that officers do, even today, because they don't
2: do it for recognition, they do it because it's right. What people fail to understand is that throughout my career in the police department, mm-hmm. I witnessed so much goodness yes. out of Caucasian officers. Yes that it'll be unrealistic for somebody to say to label white cops, whatever you wanna call it, white cops. Right. Uh, it's particularly when you call for help, you know, mm-hmm. and you see all the blues coming in. You didn't see white, black, like, Hispanic, exactly. you see blue coming in. That's right. And you feel so powerful having these colleagues that, you know, whether you were uh, working in Harlem or when I was in organized crime control in Brooklyn, I was mm-hmm. an undercover narcotics for six years, there ain't uh, anything you haven't done. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's a one-man
2: army. <laughs> I had a supervisor that uh, I used to drive in Harlem, in six, named Ron Bellely. Every time we stopped somebody, whether in Spanish or French or Creole, I do the translations. So he says, listen, you, you, you should be in OCCB, Organized Crime Control. I says, mm-hmm. I heard you need a hook to go in there. He said, well, I'm your hook. I got the hook. He said, I'm your hook. Because he was gonna get transferred. Wow. When he did, he did exactly that. He called me, he said, you still wanna come? Said, I have no idea what it's all about. He says, Well, come. in. if you don't like it, at that time we have to do 45 days probation. If you're not if you don't deliver, he'll send you back to patrol. Sure. So you gotta do 45, then 45, then 90 before you become permanent. And uh so I did, and I become permanent. My captain Valentine, Richard Valentine. It's funny the supervisors that I work for, I will always remember their names. I'm I guess, amazed. I guess, I guess because of my uh, discipline mm-hmm. and courteous and respect.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I don't care how old you are. If you're the commander, you are the commander. Sure. And Richard Valentine, he, when I you're supposed to go before a board for an interview to become permanent in organized crime, right? He he, he took my place. He sat at the board because he was a member of the board. He says, today, uh, they call my name. And he says, well, this guy worked for me. And I represent him today. And everybody was shocked. So I will probably one of the few that didn't have to go to the interview. Wow. And uh, at that time, I not that because I was working. I think in that day I was off, he says, because uh, he told me I could stay home. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Richard Valentine. So uh, working undercover was another excitement part of it. But he also has depression. Depression part of it was, when you're on a police van with fourteen prisoners, and it's fourteen African Americans Mm -hmm. sitting in there. Yes, you're gonna make overtime because at that time it's almost like body Mm count. But you're looking at them. Which one of them could have been your brothers, sisters, sons? You know. Sure. And uh, it gives something about. My, unfortunately, you know, I, I said, fortunately, those guys that I worked with, uh, they were basically mainly Caucasian. Woody mm-hmm. Kaffer, Ed Block, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Powers, uh, Sergeant Antomas, those guys, they were like a family mm-hmm. to me. And then sometime I talked to them, I was able to talk to them and, 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 and say, man, you know, this is frustrating. See, all these guys in there. And, and sometimes I give a pep talk to the prisoners. Good for you. I says, you know, how do you think I feel? I'm sitting there with you guys, you know. How do you think I feel? I'm taking you guys to jail, you know. Because they'll be laughing to each other in there They think it's a joke. Right. And, and most of them are young. You know, they're, oh, man, they got you too. They got you too. I say, you astonish your own records. You know, you don't need for it. Look at you. You're healthy, you know. Yep. And I start telling them sometime where I'm from. I say, listen, look got me. I come from way on a country that you don't even know you exist. Yes, to get where I'm at. And you already here. I have to learn English to get where I'm at. You're already here. Wow. So what more do you want? You know, you're already an American, you already got the educations, you know, why not? So it's always good to uh, not only uh, enforce the law
0: in mm-hmm.
2: you know, a ways uh, warranted, but it costs you nothing sometimes to give a little pep talk mm-hmm. to the uh, boys and girls that you arrested. Sure. You'd be surprised sometime who come and tell you who has a gun. Yes. I never smoke, but I always have a pack of cigarettes in my pocket. I was told that by Officer Guenjante, Alphonse Guenjante, one of my academy instructors, mm-hmm. a young uh, Caucasian guy. He says, you know, sometimes one cigarette can settle somebody down, a prisoner down, until he even start telling you yep. about what's going on in the neighborhood. And I have practiced that, and it works. So as I said, the academy is one you know, uh, phase mm-hmm. of your police work, but the street smart and what you have learned from officers, regardless of their age, uh, how many times they have on the job, it's so profitable to listen and watch and use it sure. and see the outcome of it.
0: Tell us about this event in 1988. How long
2: had you been on the streets? I was, I, was, uh, I think a cop, about 17 months. I knew you were, it was pretty Rookie, new. Rookie, uh, August 22nd, 1988, uh, I went to a Yankee game. There was a free ticket. One of my colleagues, I used to work in the nursing home, her son worked in the parking lot, and he had two tickets. <laughs> so I said, okay, I live close to the stadium, I've never been in there, I'll go watch the game. So you're off duty. Off duty. It was about uh, uh, the Yankees versus the Oakland A's. And I left the game. I came home. I had a, an apartment on 1488 Plimpton Avenue between Nelson and Edward L. Grant Highway in the confine of the 44th precinct. It's so quiet in the neighborhood that I said, this is great because I just moved in there. But why it was so quiet is because most of the people, the legitimate people move out. Oh, no. Unknowingly knows what's going on there. Sometimes you heard pep, pep. You forget, probably car backfire. It can't be. You You try to lie to yourself something because you're just moving there. You know, <laughs> That's I, right. And that night I came uh, back. It was about 10, uh, approximately after 10 p.m. I had a, a female... Uh, companion with me. So we bought some Chinese food. We're discussing the game. And I had a Chevy Chevette that I bought uh, from uh, another <laughs> officers for $50. Hey, listen, I'm a young officer, and uh, at that time, you know, I, I, I had, uh, uh, you know, uh, other obligations. So uh, I packed my little Chevette there, and uh, she says, yeah, I think you're too close to the hydrant. I says, okay, let me go move it again. So did I move it, I went in there to move it. I had boom, 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 you know, on the other side of the street behind the building. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I ignored it. I said, well, you know, whatever. So I finished parking the car and I'm standing there. I said, like, how do you like that now? And who was walking by me? Mr. Bond himself, holding the weapon. You saw the, the weapon size, right? Right, the Tech now yes. At that time, I, honestly, I have no clue what is a technique, is, you know, I know it's a weapon, because I heard the discharge, and now seeing this, and it's so big on his hand, and anyway it, was, it was holding it. Well, it yeah. looked like in the picture it had an extended mag? It, it did. Okay. So I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe maybe it's a toy, I don't know. So she she froze, and she dropped the food, and I'm like, don't move, don't say nothing. So he walks by, and I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, so he, he decided not to challenge me. What are you looking at? What the f are you looking at? So he walked back to me. So now I'm like, and I do have a 38, uh, which is six bullets, uh, four inch gun. If I recall properly, the bullets at that time was rubber tip bullets.
0: Okay, I remember you telling me that when we met at the funeral, and because that's what the mayor said y'all could only carry
2: at that time. Mayor David Dinkins... Tried that as a pilot program. Figured too many African americans was getting killed, and so, uh, to my recollection, it was you know like rubber tip bullets, like, and that's that's one of the reasons why Mr. Bond's still alive. Wow! Not, I believe because you know, if you know shoot somebody that close, range like this. In any case, so he decided to walk back. So as he's walking back, as a rookie, figure law abiding citizen will respect police badge. My my shield is so shiny. It could be an air, you know airplane, seven fifty seven or seven sixty seven airplane aircraft. But they could see it down there. It's so shiny. So I took my shield out with my hand on my hips. Hey, police, would you drop it? As I as I'm talking to an invited guest, he said, "What? Have you?" And as he keep walking forward, I say, "Hey, you know." So I raised my hand, but still didn't even pull my gun because I figured he's already got the drop on me. Sir. With my shell shining, I said, "This is boys, or this is real." I'm talking. The guy, boom, he fired. All I could see the muzzle, from the, uh, from the weapon. I have no idea if he's uh, a bad shooter, or if he tried to scare me or whatever it is. I'm laying on the floor, breathing. I'm looking into the car. I figure he probably run. Now he's looking for me. His partner says, "Come on, let's go, man." He says, "Hey." F, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to F the yeah. I didn't even look for where my female partner was now. I'm looking where the feet is gone. And then I see that. So I went around. Then he got up. I got up. I took out my gun. I hid behind the car. I said, police, drop it. And he's still looking for me, what's got kind of the dark. So he keep walk- now I starts walking. So I'm walking behind him. And I told her, go upstairs, call the cops, make sure you describe me first. Right. And which she did like, yeah, please. that's important. <laughs> yeah. Which you did a good job because by the time the cops arrive, they they know who I was mm-hmm. because I raised my hand. The guy said, "Put your hand down." We know who we are. And at that time, I was kneeling on him. Oh, you had him down by the kneeling evening. on his on his hip. Okay, and with my hand behind his neck mm-hmm. and with his face down. But guess what? My left left knee on his hip section mm-hmm. crossed Course-wise, with my hands there, I was healthy enough. And when I say, when I touch somebody with my hands, I can show you when I touch you. <laughs> I mean, I touch you. You're going to feel it. Sure. So I had him down. But guess what? His right hand was, I still have the gun with my right feet on the top of his fingers. Oh, wow. That's how quick the cops, the cops got there. That's how, that's how much, you know, we were fighting. Wow. After the the, the shot. And I, actually, we went on Edward Aguan Highway. We came back. Uh, it was a taxi car come by. So I, he saw us in the street, everybody with a gun. He's going crazy. So I stop him. I use his gun for cover. I use his car for cover. He took off, left me, you know, empty again. Oh, so wow. now no cover, just me and the gentleman. So bonds keep walking. And every time he turn around, he's like, hey, man. And I'm like, drop it, drop it. The idea on my head it was what we thought in the academy, if you shoot a felon in the back, you, you're probably going to take his place to jail. Right. Later on, when I went to the academy to discuss my uh, uh, incident, I was told the other way. Once a defendant destroys his weapon at you, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. You know what you got to do to stop it.
0: Probably would have been a good thing to have taught you initially in the academy. What do you think?
2: Well, that's why the academy, uh, they, they did wanted me to speak to the next class coming sure. about my trauma, You know, the way I was traumatized. And what was instructed, that I could have been dead because now I'm waiting. It's almost like, can you please turn around? You know. And so the guy and he, he hold his gun right by his hip uh, down downwards, and I'm walking behind. Him. There's no cover, and I'm like, you know, where's the cops when you need one? <laughs> you know. And we finally get to the uh, to a bodega that was closed, and at that time I feel like you know what, I got to close range, mm-hmm. so I close the gap, so I run. And I am, he scooped down, I will call that a, what we have taught in the academy, as a combat position. Yes. So he's turning, and mm-hmm. before he completed his turn, when he was in a 45 degrees angle, I fired as I'm running still. Wow. So one, one of the rounds, of course, hit him, one probably still flying in the air somewhere. <laughs> the other one, I, I don't know where it is, three rounds was discharged, and I didn't even know I discharged three rounds that fast until the supervisor, the patrol supervisor, questioning me mm-hmm. uh, on the scene. I mean, why did you fight? I said, I don't know, and then he took my gun and he says, three spent shells, uh, three is empty. You know, so I said, well, I guess it was, uh, but.
0: Are there a lot of people on the street, you know. At that time, I don't know was, know that was, area, but, there was
2: so many people, of yeah. course. Uh, there was ambulances, police cars. Uh, there was anti-crime officers from the 46. He was the delegates, the union delegates. Uh,
0: but so, just the public. You know, Chris, have you so been many... to New York before? No. You know, I know parts of New York, but I, in that area, I mean, it used to be busy 24-7. And with
2: highway, it's, it's quite wide. Okay. Know? So when the incident happened, everybody that stopped, you know, driving by, all of a sudden, everybody come out of the woodwork. Okay. okay? There they were mainly Hispanic in the neighborhood. So, okay. Uh, and is this near Yankee Stadium? Uh, no. that's uh, I would say it's... Uh, about two and a half miles or three. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. I was thinking it was closer no. to the stadium. It's closer to the GW Bridge, oh, Okay, Street. I know where that is. Okay. Okay, if you go from uh, 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 the Bronx, you cross mm-hmm. into Manhattan. Mm-hmm. On the left side, that's Edward and Grand Highway. Yes. That lead you to University Avenue. Yes. Okay, that's where it happened. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, so all these people were there and stuff. And I remember the officer says, you know, hey, you're supposed to... Grab the gun. That's what's going to hurt you. And, okay, I didn't know. I'm I'm not waiting for help. I'm holding this guy with one hand. Okay, remember, my other gun, my gun now, I holster it in the back. I I didn't even remember if you fall down my pants or what. Now you got all scared. Sure. Okay, you just finished shot somebody. Okay, not only we had a fight, by the way, we, we had a good 20 seconds fight, which is like 20 years. Sure. Because he refused to. Come down, as a matter of fact, because of my—I'll say it's because of my, uh, the technical thing that I learned from the academy. I probably, you know, I hit him upside with my hand and come down with my elbow, mm-hmm. all the way from his his chest to his nose. So he, when he bent down, that's when I, you know, I push him to the ground. And I and I'm sitting to myself, if a guy's shot, you know, how come he's still fighting me, you know? Uh, and I and I—we fighting with the knee. That's why I told you my knee was on on his hip down there because you know I'm like, you know, stop, stop, stop. When the cops show up there, uh, the officers, they immediately took over uh, the assignment. The supervisor was, I would say, was not an experienced officer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He started questioning me right on the scene. One of the uh, senior's officers says, hey, you just tell him your shell number and your command. Mm-hmm. He says, Sarge, you should know better than that. And so they put me in the back of the patrol car and take me to Columbia Press. <laughs> the CEO of the 4-4 Precinct was not a happy man. Because Cap- of the way you'd been treated? No. Captain Eugene Murphy. He treated me worse than the prisoners that was treated. Really? He, there was two African-American females from Eternal Affairs. I remember they had trench coat. Uh, ten, 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 uh, 10 trench coat of the police, with the police sergeant shill. They come to the hospital. I figured, well, more help coming in, more people concerned. Nah. So I, they said, Where's the officer involved? They asked the delegate who was standing there. I remember he had his bulletproof vest on, you know, which I identified himself. Now, was that Bill, Janay, no, at that no, time? No, oh, okay. He was the delegate from the 4 okay. 6, the police officer the patrolman. So he had his hand around my shoulder. So I was about to raise my hand, and he he immediately <laughs> pushed my shoulder down. Don't do it. He says, "I don't know. He's somewhere getting treated." <laughs> and he says, "I don't want you to speak to anybody until the attorney for the PBA show up until the first one." And I said, "Okay." And now I'm like, "Okay, what did I do?" Then another white shirt. All right, now
0: white shirts at that time were sergeant and above or lieutenant and above? Uh, lieutenant and above. Because now actually, it is. Actually, so, truly actually, think...
2: actually, actually was captain and above. Okay. Captain and then and it above. went Bill changed Bill uh changed that for lieutenant okay. and sergeant. Right. And then shortly after, it went back. She, the sergeant went back to blue, to yes. the regular blue uniform, but the white shirts stayed with the lieutenant and, up, and above. I had a lot to learn when I went up there for those five
0: weeks. No so when you say. see
2: all these white shirts, okay. They're not my cousins. <laughs> and, uh, Edmund Gonzalez was the, the ball commander of the Bronx. Probably, he probably like the Lord of Flatbush when he show up. I don't know the gentleman, but from the way I get treated by him, mm-hmm. it was like uh, glory to God. He says uh, to me, how you feel? So I look around me, who, oh, who the heck is talking to? Nobody have yet, other than the regular cops, have asked me, how do I feel? No, not the two females uh, right. from internal Affairs. Not other white shirts that was there. Of course, Captain Murphy was chewing the heck out of me. He, he was the he, he kept, you know, duty captain, I believe, in charge that night, but he's from the 4-4.
0: Now, there, one thing I want to clarify: did you live in the precinct you worked in? No, no. Okay, so this no. isn't your. This is
2: group. the 4-4. I, I work in the 2-6, which is Harlem, Manhattan. At that the time, it in the Bronx. The gotcha. Bronx. Okay. Edmund Gonzalez says, uh, uh, you know, how do you feel? How do you feel? I heard that the delegate from the union, you know, that's speaking to him. And how are your boss, you bossing know, and stuff? you know? So they know each other a little bit. And I'm like, he says, uh, how do you feel? So I'm looking around. <laughs> he must have been talking to somebody else. Nobody on white shirt ever, you know been courteous to me. <laughs> I start having doubt maybe the gun that the guy had was a rubber gun, but, but was a toy maybe, because I said, I must have did something wrong. Right. Nobody's you know, he's, he's, you know, patting me in the back other than the cops. The white the supervisors are pissed off. But except this guy here, which is Edmund Gonzalez, he says, "How do you feel?" So I'm looking around. And he says to me, you know, with all the, you know, uh, with my, with all the respect, he says, uh, "What are you trying to be on wise ass?" And the delegate says, "Boss, with all the respect, nobody, you know, nobody treat the kid okay." So he probably thought you were talking to somebody else. Well, and you, I mean, you hadn't been on the job two years. No, yes. You so know. you're, you're. I, I have no clue. You're great, and, and I've been chewing, you know, by almost everybody else above the rank, uh, you know, uh, of a cop. And I look at mine, and, and, and he says, what, he try to be a wise ass? And, he says, and the delegate took over and says, no sir, you know, no all due respect, the kid been chewing by everybody, so that's why I'm staying close to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't know, he thought you were talking to somebody. I said, I say, I'm fine, sir, I apologize. You know, he said, it's okay. I remember when he says to me, uh, uh, I believe you, he says, then they do the duty captain show up next to him, Eugene Murphy. It's a Murph, if I remember correctly, uh, you're going to voucher the, uh, the weapon, the bad guy's weapon, right? Uh, well, I'm going to voucher his shit too, said the captain. He says, oh, well, I'm going to get him. We were the first class that issued hammerless weapon, Sten- yes, uh, uh, stainless steel weapon, mm-hmm. hammerless. No hammer, so you couldn't have an accidental discharge. So that was a pilot program by the police department. So again, and this
0: was your duty weapon you had with you? My duty. The one and only.
2: Okay, all right. So the captain, who is such an old-timer, who is not updated with what's going on, thought I sort off the Alhama by myself. That's when he said, "It's going to get me.
0: Good grief.
2: He said, I'm going to get you for that. And the delegate started laughing and says, Captain, get me. I remember he says, Captain, this is the standard new issue firearms to all the new recruits. (laughs) Get with the program, buddy. He said, that's so. You should see his face almost like I'm going to get you. Then uh, Deputy Inspector Gonzalez says, uh, no, no, give him back his shit, and I quote, uh, and I quote. (laughs) And and he says, officer, I say, yes, sir. He says, try to borrow three more rounds from any other cops. To fill in the other three that you spend shells, because I uh, I want to make sure you got a fully loaded gun to go back in that neighborhood.
0: Now it wasn't an issue at all or against policy. I'm sure, knowing you and how lawful you are, but so it was okay for officers
2: to carry their duty weapon off duty. Yes. Wherever you were. Yes. Okay. Uh, some some uh, you know some people bought what you call off duty, which is a smaller gun. Right. Uh, the four inch was the standard three to four inch was is standard issue 38 you must carry a two and a half inch or anything lower than that that's your off duty stuff but you know that's your off duty uh, has to be uh, quali- you have to qualify with it and it has to be on on your on your, profi- on your prof- profile at the police stations so they know you're on this two gun or this three whatever it is right because I don't think that's
0: I would you know I guess I never th- really thought to ask anybody would you be in trouble? Chris, I, if you carried your duty weapon off duty and got into a shooting off duty,
2: Yeah, I don't know anybody that does.
0: That is allowed to that's do that. Allowed, but do you know if that's a good. I don't know policy? if it's a. I don't know. Yeah, that's something I've, I've until that's, now I've never yes, even thought about. Yes, you
2: can. Uh, you, yes, you can. You are you you technically you officer for you know twenty four seven a day. Oh, well, I agree with you. And knowing the city, that's part of the policy. Yes, you can carry your off, off duty. Unless it's it's specified in an area you're going in that says no firearms, at this time you have to either ID yourself or either, you know, uh, voucher it or or put it in a locker somewhere, a lockbox. Other than that, yes, it's your your responsibility from the time you're sworn in the academy to give it to you, you're responsible for it. And that's
0: the way it should be, truthfully. You can
2: go to bed with it, whatever it is. Within the city limit, I can't speak for outside the city limit, of course, you know. Jersey and uh, New York have this controversy about you know, can't bring cops in New York and across the bridge into New Jersey unless they own official business. Right. So vice versa. In my eyes, as learning from the old timers, every cop is a cop. Yes. I don't care where you're from. Sure. It doesn't mean I'm going to question a New Jersey cop with his firearms if I see, you know, if I, if he's identifiable that he's a police officer or whatever rank, it's a law enforcement. Think about it. If I need help, who's gonna help me? Right. You know? So it's the mentality of uh, uh, people challenge other counties or states. Yes. It's it's up, you know, I wouldn't say it's a discretion, but I it's kinda of stupid for you to challenge another law enforcement. It's not the truth. You know. Especially the guy just standing there. Because right. you know you know bloody well if you if you get jammed up, he's gonna to want to back you up. Sure. Cops always have in my we, we're never off duty. No, I agree. When you with see you. something, even on the highway, going home, you see the state police, the highway patrol stop somebody, you slow down. He doesn't know who you are, but right. you slow down. We used to have a permit, we call it precinct permit, to the, uh, the yeah, identifiable so you can park your car within the confine of that police station where you park. I normally put it on the dashboard when, I, when I'm slowed down so the mm-hmm. officer can see, see it might be another cop. There's no, nothing more grateful than when you stop on the road for like a female at night and you help her with a flat tires and she happened to be some cop's wife and you got a phone call that, hey, you know, thank you. Sure. You know, and that woman feels so, you know, powerful that the fact that in that dark you stop. So I normally, whenever I see a female, most of the time I will slow down or not that I take it for granted, I'll put my window down a little bit, say you got a problem, whatever it is. And especially if somebody seemed like to have some police decal on the window, you question them a little bit about it, sure. and you find out' somebody's wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, hey, I got you, I got you back, sure, or you drive him home to go get their husband you know so that's what I learned from the old days. now, you know, as we will speak about it, everything changed
0: and that's going to wrap it up. part one of this episode. We're going to join up again with Franz next week as we finish this conversation. So fascinating. I hope you guys join us for it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.